Some believe there are two books. One is the book of life. The other is the book of life of the Lamb. They say the book of life is a book that contains all the names of those who would ever live, who would not receive Christ, but their names were written there because when Christ died on the cross, and John tells us that Jesus was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So even before God created the world, he knew that we were going to blow it. And in the mind of God, Christ was already on the cross of Calvary, atoning for the sins of the whole world. What did John say? He is the propitiation for our sins, but not just for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. So some say, well, that means that when Christ, you know, on the cross, his blood atoned for all the people of this world. So everybody's name who would ever be born was written into this book of life. But those, but as they died, because they refused to come to Christ, then their names were blotted out because it was really, this book is really a, an invitation list to join God in heaven. And those that died refusing to receive Christ, their names were blotted out. But there was another book called the book of, the, the book of life of the Lamb. This contained all the names of people who would receive Christ. Of course, they were known by God from the beginning. God knew all of us before he even created us. He knew everybody who would receive the gospel when presented to them. And so God wrote us in this book of life of the Lamb, which differs from the book of life. That could be true. Or it could simply mean that those who are saved had their names written in the book of life in eternity past as an anticipation of what Jesus would do on the cross. And there is only one book. That presents some problems, though. Um, for those who believe, like myself, that you cannot lose your salvation. So we'll cover that, I think, a little more in detail. We get to, get to chapter 17, because the book of life is mentioned there again. But let's just continue and finish with verse 10. But verse 9, first of all, and I love verse 9, because it takes us from out, of the, out from the future and puts us right here. This verse doesn't just apply to those living during the tribulation at that time. I mean, this verse applies to any man. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. It's almost as if God, and not it's almost as if he does, in the midst of all this horrific talk of judgment and all the things coming upon the people of this world, which, what, have not happened yet. You know, just like somebody was sitting here reading this book right now today, and reading about who has not accepted Christ yet. And they're reading about what's coming. 
And, and, and it just stops, and God says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. In other words, if you're reading this, and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you better stop, get on your knees, and receive him now while there's still time. You do not want to miss the rapture and find yourself in this period of time. You, you don't want to go, well, I'll take my chances. If you guys are right, I'll wait and see what happens. Folks, let me tell you something. If you can't live for Jesus now during the age of grace, do you really think you're going to be able to die for him then in the age of great tribulation? I'm telling you, today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, the Bible says, don't harden your hearts. Our life is but a vapor. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Tomorrow's not promised to anybody. You may not get another chance to receive Christ. And if you wait and miss the rapture and find yourself in the tribulation period, I guarantee you, it's not going to be a pleasant experience. And so God is stopping and saying, look, if anyone has an ear, listen to what I'm saying. This is going to be the most horrific period of time in the entire history of humanity. But you can escape what's coming. Because the Bible says God so loved us, he sent his son to die for us, that if we would receive him, the blood of Christ would cleanse us of our sins, the spirit of God would come into our hearts, sealing us until the day of redemption. And if we're alive when the rapture happens and that horn blows and that archangel shouts, we're out of here. People say, you're an escapist. I'm glad we got that right. <laughs> Let's make no bones about it. You better believe I'm an escapist. I mean, if you want to stay here for what's coming, that's up to you. If I can escape, why wouldn't I want to escape? I mean, they think that somehow they've got me. You're, you're an escapist. Yeah, good. I'm glad we got that clear. You're absolutely right I'm an escapist. And what fool wants to stay down here and go through the tribulation period? All right. Enough of that. Verse 10. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity... He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. This is kind of a proverb, actually, that's going to be very instructional, especially to the people who find themselves alive during this period of time when the Antichrist begins to really persecute the people of God now. Believers in the tribulation period, listen to me. You may not like what I'm about to say, but I believe with all my heart this is what's being taught. God is telling that generation they are not to retaliate. They are not to pick up weapons and defend themselves. They're to accept what's coming. This is the patience and the faith of the saints. They are not to take matters into their own hands. The Bible is replete with admonitions for us now, as well as during that time as believers, that we are not to resist an evil person. You know, for our faith, I'm saying, I'm not saying somebody breaks into your house, you know, that you can't fight them off or something like that. I'm just saying if you go out to the mission field and there you're persecuted for your faith, you are presenting Christ to these people. You know, something that really moved me, I'll never forget. Remember uh, of the five missionaries who were killed by the Aka Indians? Remember the, they made a movie, uh, Beyond the Gates of Splendor and so on, and we watched the documentary here one night? Do you remember what one of the gentlemen said who was a friend? I mean, this is now 50 years. This has happened 50 years ago. And now this one friend is elderly now. And he couldn't say this without 
starting to cry, and I, I couldn't listen to it without crying. He said, you know that those men were armed? They each carried a gun. But they said they would never use the guns on the Aukas because these men were ready to die where the Aukas were not ready to die. Now, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? To say, look, I could take these people's lives, but I'm going to submit to this because they're not ready to die. I am. That's kind of the mentality that God is uh, talking about here. Uh, you know, we're not called to be, to retaliate. You know, remember when Jesus and his disciples came to a village and the people of the village, for whatever reason, didn't want Jesus to come in to town? And so, you know, James and John, who Jesus, after this thing, nicknamed them the Sons of Thunder, they said, well, Lord, uh, would you like us to call fire down from heaven like Elijah did and wipe them all out? And Jesus said, you know, you guys don't know what spirit you are of. The Son of Man has not come to destroy life, but to save. No, we'll just go to another town. Go wipe everybody out. What are you guys, nuts? You know, we're likened to lambs. Lambs, not lambos, okay? <laughs> you know, I mean, the Bible has a lot to say about us not retaliating, not taking vengeance on our enemies. It was the way Christians went to their deaths in the Roman Empire uh, years where they were crucified, thrown to the lions, and so on, and they went to their death praising God that caused the Spirit of God to begin to move among the Roman Empire, the people, and many got saved because of the way these people faced death, praying for their captors, forgiving their captors. They didn't organize militias. They didn't take up arms to fight. They submitted. Peter said, those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. He also talked about in his first epistle, chapter 2, how that Jesus Christ, while being reviled, did not revile in return, while suffering uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously, right? In other words, Jesus is our example. And when Jesus stood before Pilate and Herod and was falsely accused, he didn't defend himself. He didn't open his mouth. He didn't retaliate. He told Peter in the garden when Peter pulled off the sword and cut Malchus's ear off, the high priest's servant, Jesus said, put away your sword, Peter. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And that's exactly what's being said here. Those who lead into captivity, they're going to go into captivity. How? Into hell. Those that killed by the sword, they're going to be killed by the sword. In other words, you have two groups of people on the earth at this time. Those who violently oppress others and take their lives, and those who submit to the violence, pray for their captives, captors, and follow in the footsteps of Jesus, who when he was reviled, didn't revile in return. And when he was nailed to that cross unjustly, did not retaliate, he said, Peter, I could call right now to my father, and he'll send me 72,000 angels. I mean, 72,000 angels to deliver me. But this is the time that God has ordained, and I'm going to submit to it. Just like that time is coming, although every generation has to stand for the Lord, right? Now, you know, things might get much worse around here before they get better in America. There may come a time when you and I for our faith and speaking out the truth are going to be persecuted, prosecuted, thrown into jail. I don't think it's very far-fetched that that could happen before we, you know, in the, in the very near future. In Revelation 13, we are introduced to two coming world leaders. One of them, which we've already been introduced to in verses 1 through 10, rises out of the sea, it says in verse 1, 
that's symbolic probably for the nations, in particular the Gentile nations. Some people think because of that he's going to be a Gentile. Um, some believe uh, the sea is a reference to the Mediterranean Sea, which means he's going to come out of the Mediterranean world. He's going to be a leader that's going to come from what used to be the old Roman Empire. We know he's going to be a political leader that's going to unite the world in the final world empire before Jesus returns to establish his kingdom. We call this leader the Antichrist, although he's got about 50 names in the scriptures that he goes by. Uh, the one that we call him by, the Antichrist, is technically not one of them. Because uh, John said, you know, there are many Antichrists, and he who denies the Father and the Son, this is Antichrist, okay? But this is the label that stuck with this guy. When you say Antichrist, people usually know who you're talking about. Well, tonight we're going to look at the second coming world leader. He shows up in verses 11 through 18. He's going to be a religious leader. And he's going to unite the world in a one world religion. Now, in Revelation chapter 16, verse 13, 19, verse 20, and chapter 20, verse 10, this religious leader is going to be called the false prophet. The false prophet. So, verse 11, chapter 13, John said, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. Now, uh, last week we looked at the first beast, and uh, he was pretty terrifying looking. Uh, you know, he had uh, multiple heads and crowns and, you know, pretty frightening looking thing, okay? This beast doesn't look quite so terrifying. Uh, it's interesting to read the commentators because they have all kinds of um, interpretations as to what or who this beast is. Some say it's the apostate church. Others say, no, it indicates some form of government or ideology. Let me give you a little clue how we can know who this beast is. You see the word another there? Where John said, I saw another beast rising up out of the earth. In the Greek, there are two words for another. There is alas and heteros. Heteros is another of a different kind. Alas is another of the same kind. When Jesus said to you, to his disciples, I'm going away and where I'm going you cannot come, but I'm not going to leave you alone like orphans. I'm going to send to you another comforter. He used the Greek word alas. He's going to, I'm going to send to you another comforter just like me. The Holy Spirit is not a different God, of course. He's God in a different form, right? Jesus, second person of the Trinity, came down bodily on the earth. The Holy Spirit, when Jesus ascended, was poured out. He came down in spirit form to indwell every believer on the face of the earth. This beast, John uses the Greek word alas. He is another of the same kind. We know the first beast was a person. He's the Antichrist. So we know this second beast has to be a person as well. In fact, Revelation chapter 19, verse 20 then the beast was captured. This is when Jesus returns, of course, to the planet Earth. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone, what we would call hell. So there are two individuals that are coming. They're going to be men 
but they are going to be demonically possessed. In fact, the Antichrist will be possessed of Satan himself. There's only two people uh, that we know of in history. There may have been others, but from Scripture, there's only two people that Satan felt what he wanted to do through them was so important that he wasn't going to leave it to one of his demons to do his dirty work. He possessed them himself. One is the Antichrist, the other is who? Judas Iscariot. Those were the, there might be more in history. I'm not saying there weren't others possibly that you know, were possessed of the devil himself, but we know for sure there's two in Scripture, Judas Iscariot and the Antichrist. Now, with the coming of the false prophet, you might say, this kind of completes what some have called the satanic trinity. You know, Satan is a counterfeiter. He's a, um, he doesn't really do anything new. He just kind of likes to counterfeit what God does. So he's always trying to counterfeit. He's always trying to duplicate or replicate what God does uh, or who God is. Here, he does that very thing. The devil, called the dragon, he sets himself up as the anti-God the Father. Then he sets up the first beast, chapter 13, as the anti-Christ, who is called the son of perdition. Of course, our Jesus, the Christ, is called the son of God. This anti-Christ is called the son of perdition, literally the son of hell. And now here we see in verse 11, another one shows up, a second beast, and he is going to be set up as the anti-Holy Spirit. If you think about it, Jesus said in John 16, he said, you know, I'm going to send to you another comforter. And when he comes, he's not going to testify of himself. He's going to testify of me. It's the Spirit's responsibility to lead people to Jesus, to get them to trust in Christ for salvation. And then he leads us as believers day by day into a deeper walk with the Lord and to worship the Lord and so on. It's interesting that the false prophet is going to point people to the Antichrist. His whole ministry is to, is to get the world trusting in this guy and worshiping this guy because when they worship the Antichrist, ultimately, who are they worshiping? The power behind him, right? Who's the devil, the dragon, and so on. So interesting how we see this kind of satanic trinity now show up on the earth. But again, verse 11, John says, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth and... Um, this one is in contrast to the Antichrist, who we just said, said uh, saw that he comes up out of the sea. Uh, what does the earth here mean? Is this literal or symbolic? Well, if the seas in verse 1 were symbolic that the Antichrist emerged out of, I would have to believe that the earth here is also symbolic. A lot of commentators want to say this represents Palestine or uh, Israel. Where they get that from, I don't know, and... Really, and so they use that to say, well, that means he's going to be Jewish. But I haven't found anything in Scripture that would indicate that that's a correct interpretation. It might be right. I just don't find any biblical justification for it. So what does the earth represent? Well, one commentator said in the ancient world, the earth was less mysterious and foreboding than the sea. That the false prophet arises from the earth suggests that he will be subtler, gentler, less overpowering and terrifying than the Antichrist. Well, that's about as good interpretation as any I've read, all right? Uh, so, you know, if it, if it resonates with you, fine. If not, throw it out and keep looking, okay? But uh, at least that interpretation, I think, is consistent with the last part of the verse where it says, he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. 
the two horns indicate that the second beast has authority. In the scriptures, a horn, you know, an animal horn, is uh, almost always used to represent, if it's used in a symbolic way, it's almost always used to represent some kind of power or authority. So the fact that this second beast has two horns, as opposed to the Antichrist who had ten, but what was on the ten horns of the Antichrist? Ten what? Crowns. The Greek is Stephanos, excuse me, not Stephanos, diadem, the crown of a king, signifying that this leader was going to be a political leader that was going to pull the world together, probably ten regions, the world divided up into ten regions, pulling it together, you know, in a political unity, one, one world government, whereas this leader comes and he's got two horns which speak of authority but no crown, signifying he's not going to be a political leader, he's going to be a, a, a religious leader. Our Lord warned us that during this time, and Jesus told us this in Matthew 24, he warned us that during this time, the time we're studying right here, that many false prophets would arise and deceive many on the earth. And this guy is going to be the greatest of them all. There have been many false prophets. And there are going to be a lot more when the Antichrist comes to power. But this guy is going to be the greatest of them all. And it calls him a lamb. How does that work? Well, uh, I think it's what the Bible is saying. He's going to have the character of a lamb, or so it seems. In other words, he's going to you know, give the appearance of gentleness and meekness and harmlessness. But here's the key. He's going to talk like a dragon. Who's the dragon? Satan. So just because he's Mr. Nice Guy, Mr. Soft-spoken, you know, probably he's going to come with a message of love and unity. Of course, love for all those who agree with him. Those that don't agree, not so much. Because the Antichrist is going to be butchering them like crazy. True believers, Right. But for the most part, as the world listens to this guy, he's going to have a very positive message, you know, one of tolerance, inclusiveness, love, coming together as one, you know, and, and all of that, just one big hug, you know, and he's going to just be a nice guy, probably. He's going to appear like a lamb in the sense that he's going to be meek and gentle and loving, but he's going to speak like a dragon, which means he's going to be speaking forth false doctrine. You know, was it last summer the Dalai Lama came out to Chicago? I think it was last summer, wasn't it? I think he was in Grant Park, wasn't he? And, uh, and a lot of people went out to see him. In fact, he spent like three hours just sitting there on stage, uh, just kind of teaching and talking. Now, I saw uh, a couple interviews with the Dalai Lama around that time. Maybe you did too. And I got to tell you, what a nice guy. I, honestly, he was a very charming, disarming kind of a person. I mean, the kind of guy I wouldn't mind taking in a ball game with. I mean, just a really nice guy. The problem is the things that he's teaching come right out of the pit of hell. They go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the very words that Satan told Eve that became the basis for Hinduism and Buddhism, etc. Just because a person is nice doesn't necessarily mean what they're teaching is good. And you know that. This is going to be the epitome of that very thing. Oh, and, and of course today, people buy into it, don't they? I mean, if somebody comes across and he's a, like everybody loves the Dalai Lama. I, I've just listened to people that have interviewed him. Oh, what a great guy. And oh, he's got such a positive message. That's going to be the false prophet. That's going to totally be the false prophet. Nice guy, 
loving, kind, positive message, love, unity, tolerance. But it's going to be the words of the devil himself speaking through him. Jesus told us in Matthew 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in what? Sheep's clothing. But inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Ravenous wolves. You know, some of these characters on TV... They're really good-looking guys, and they wear, you know, like $800,000 suits, you know. And they always have these nice smiles, don't they, with this beautiful dental work. <laughs> and, you know, you talk to people, and, you know, I, I, I kind of imagine people are saying, but, you know, you try to tell them this guy's not teaching, you know, he's teaching false doctrine. Oh, could, couldn't be. I mean, look at how nice he is, you know, and, and then, you know, look at how nice, he's got such nice teeth. Well, all the better to eat you with, my dear. I mean, you know, don't get sucked into that, man. I mean, listen to what's coming out of the person's mouth. Don't get dazzled by the package. What's coming out of the mouth? Because that's coming from the heart. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. day, by day.